10 all the way through, so hang with me. What I'm going to do is review real quick, and we're going to go through and fill in the blank, okay? Kind of an old school uh, way of doing things here to get the message started off. But we need to review real quickly and get down to where we ended in, in a couple of weeks ago. First of all, we're talking about what the Scripture, uh, what the scripture says about a covenant community. A, relation, a, a church in relationship with one another. Now, we looked at the Old Testament and we found that God did make covenants with men. And those were covenants that were uh, with great men, like Moses, men that God greatly used. And he went into a covenant relationship with these men by making them promises. And promises that God always keeps, because God never what? He never lies. He always tells the truth. And so we're learning from the Old Testament and, and how they had these relationships. And, and then the church kind of came into play after uh, a period of time. And as the, as the church began to grow, uh, obviously, things begin to seep in. And the enemy begins to, to take away uh, some, of the, some of the principles that the church had been teaching for, for hundreds of years. And now all of a sudden, church membership is really not all that important. People are now born into the church. They're not church members they're not in the church because they're, they're saved at some point. No, they, they were just kind of always in the church. If you would have asked me, uh, you know, 35 years ago, hey, Eric, are you religious? I would have said yes. I would have never used the word Christian because that wasn't an important word to me. What was important to me was that I was a Catholic. Now, what's important to some people is that they are a Baptist. See, it's not just Catholics that have this issue. It's, it's other denominational uh, folks that, that, that really trace their relationship to God back to a, a, a church that they were born into. A church that their grandfather pastored or their grandfather, uh, grandmother was always a member of. And so over a period of time, up to the 15th, 16th century... People are now saying, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in church. I've always been in church, you know. And again, you even hear this today. I mean, you'll hear it out in the community. You know, are you a Christian? I go to church. That's the answer, you know. And then the Reformation came. So we again, go back to history, and we see that all of a sudden, during this time, believers, followers of Christ, who really understood what it meant to be committed to the church, to lay down your life for your friends, to lay down your life for your friends. To say, look, I love you so much. I am your brother. I am your sister. We're in this thing together. And because we follow Christ, because we're believers, not because we're church members. And as they began to realize that, they said, look, we're not members of this church because we were born into the church. We're going to become members of a, of, of a church because we're followers of Jesus Christ. We're saved. We're going to follow him in, in believer's baptism. And these began to break away from the church. And, of course, persecution came to the church. But yet the church grew and experienced great awakenings and phenomenal historical events that took place inside the church. It was just amazing. And then we come to today. And we see the trends have changed again for a lot of different reasons. We mentioned a few of those reasons a couple of weeks ago. One of the reasons is church growth. You know, why in the world would you want to be committed, uh, preach commitment from a congregation or from a people? Why would you want to do that and expect for people to say, oh, I want to be a part of that church. I, I want to, I, I'm looking for more to do, you know. Uh, and yet, that's what's happened. And now it's become just easy to go to church and just sit and be a, you know, be an attender and maybe join, maybe not join. It's not that important. It's no big deal. Is it? Is it not a big deal? So we're looking at Scripture again. 
We're going back and saying, look, you know, maybe we got some things wrong. Maybe, maybe sincerely, in a sincere way, we just kind of got some things wrong. And, and we're just, uh, we're okay with church. But are we really committed to the church? And so we said this, a New Testament church teaches that we are to commit ourselves to a body of believers. And that was our first note. We started off with that. We said the New Testament teaches this. It's a Bible principle that God says we are to be committed to a church, to a body of believers. And as we began to understand that a couple of weeks ago, and again, it was a, it was a tough, tough way to introduce a series, only only getting through half the sermon, but, but this is what we talked about. We said, is there value in church membership? Is there really value in being a church member? And we said, yes, there is value. And here's why. Number one, because church membership in the Word of God is implied by gatherings. Okay? In other words, people came together and they gathered together in homes, maybe in public places, where two or three are gathered together, right? And so they gathered even sometimes in, in buildings, but, but they gathered. They came together. Ecclesia literally means gathering. We discussed the fact that oftentimes people will tell you, well, listen, I'm not a member of a church. I'm a member of the universal church, the greater body of Christ, which is true. That's great. That's where I was last week. I was in Sydney, Australia at Hillsong with hundreds of pastors, 25,000 believers from 30 countries. That wasn't a gospelite. That wasn't my church family. That was just this massive body of believers, people who were worshiping God in an incredible way, in a majestic way, in a phenomenal way. But these were people I didn't know. I don't live life with these people. I just had a, the privilege of one week of my life worshiping with them. It's the universal church, and it's real. But you know, the Bible, when it speaks of ecclesia, church, the gathering, Multiple times more than it talks about the universal church, it talks about the local church, the family, us. The Bible places great value on being a committed member of a church. And we discussed that. We said the New Testament uh, teaches that every follower of Christ should be linked with a gathering of believers that gather together to worship, to serve, and to love one another. Now think about those three things. Just those three things. Worship, we come together to worship. It's a great place to worship. It's, it's a great gathering. It's a great place to come in and with energy and with excitement and with enthusiasm, worship God. Man, I'm starting to get that. Have you noticed? <laughs> oh, you guys awake? I'm starting to get it, man. And here's the thing. Honestly, I'm not starting to get it because you're starting to get it. I'm starting to get it because, man, it just makes sense. I mean, listen, think about it. Why do you want, Mo, when you play, oh, Chuck, I use Chuck, I use Mo all the time. Chuck, when you played ball, what did you want that gym to be? Full of what? Fans. And what did you want those fans to do? Cheer, man. I mean, right? It's like there's nothing worse than boring fans. There's nothing worse than people just sit there. Man, listen, you got quite a few champion graduates in here, player Jesse, Mo, maybe a few others. Got a few freshmen coming on. Boy, let me tell you something, man. When the gym gets going and when people are excited, and, and what are they doing? Forgive me, but they're, they're praising what you're doing out there. You make it free, they're praising. Hey, that's my boy. Way to go. You're the best. That's why we like to come together. The more the merrier, man. 
The more praisers, the more worshipers, the better. It's exciting. When we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, hey, dude, it ain't every day that somebody raises from the dead. Amen? It's something to be excited about. And you know what? If you ever really experienced a resurrection, you would never forget it. It would never get old. I mean, somebody's totally dead, and they raise again. That's why we get excited. Have you ever noticed? It always makes you feel awesome when we sing about the resurrection. You're like, oh, we have overcome. And we ought to worship. We come together to worship. We come together to serve. We ought to be doing things in the church, actively doing things. I mean, since since last Sunday, how much time have you spent at the church? Ten minutes? Five minutes? Fifteen minutes? Many of you have. Many of you have spent 15, 20, 30 an hour serving, worshiping, practicing uh, worship, maybe doing some lawn work, maybe cleaning a bathroom. I know many of you have. But, but honestly, we ought to be thinking as we, as we preach this message, am I giving, am I voluntarily giving some time to the church? Susanna, you've been married for a month tomorrow. Are you all going to celebrate? I think you should. Susanna, has Mo helped you with the dishes yet? He has. Way to go, Mo. Been, been helping you around the house? So he's, he's, he's serving you. He's, he's helping you. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's what ought to be happening in real life. If, if, if all Mo did was say, well, got married now. No, you do the dishes. You mow the lawn. You clean the clothes. You do this. That wouldn't be right. She would say, what has happened? What, what kind of mistake did I make? She didn't make a mistake. And the greatest way to know that you're committed to somebody is serve them. Serve them. And we serve God by serving the church. Amen? Isn't this good? It's great stuff. We worship. We serve. And then the Bible, and then the Bible teaches that we love one another. We just love one another. We'll get to that more later. Church membership is implied by church discipline. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. You know, church discipline's important, and it's not something we like to talk about. It's not something I've ever talked about, but now that I've spent hours in the Word studying it, whew, I'm scared half to death to preach it now. I mean, I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't even want to touch this one, but I got to. I, I, I can't stand before God and know something and, and said, now it's just too chicken to preach it, you know. We're talking about sin in the church. Why do so many people fall into deep, dark, desperate, disgusting sin in the church? What does it happen so often? Why do so many preachers fall into absolute adultery, pornography, gross mess stuff, and then the world is turned off by Christians? Yeah, that church used to run 10,000, but their preachers now screwed up over here and messed up over here, and that church has a bunch of you know, divorces, and, and, and he committed adultery, and half the church watches porn. And Man, aren't you tired of hearing that stuff? It's all over the, it's all over the place. Here's why. Here's why. Because we don't understand church discipline. And you're going to learn this in a couple of weeks. You know the first step of church discipline? And it's, it's always the best step, and it usually takes care of everything. Here it is. Hey, Tim, how you doing, man? Hey, I love you, bro. Love your family. You got a great wife and kids. I've just been worried about you. I, just, I feel like I need to talk to you as a brother. It just, uh, I, just I missed you last Sunday, and... and Seems like the last couple of Sundays you haven't been here. I'm just concerned. Are you, are you okay? I'll stop right there. You say, well, it's none of your business. Yes, it is my business. He's my brother. And if I love him, I'm going to talk to him. But you know what we do? We just live our own lives. 
And we, we see brothers and sisters falling away. Pastors are untouchable. They're unapproachable. He's the man of God. He can do no wrong. They're falling like flies. It's crazy. You know what that pastor is? He's a man's what he is. He's flesh. And he's prone to fall into sin just as much as the guy in the back row. I'm just trying to say, church discipline begins with going to your brother and saying, I'm, I'm concerned. And usually that takes care of it. And if it doesn't, then you go to other measures, which, by the way, are all laid out in Scripture. We just don't do them. Anyway, and then church membership is implied by church leadership. Now, that's next week. Next week is elders. We're going to talk about it. And if you're visiting today, please come. I know it sounds boring. You're probably thinking, oh, you're going to talk about the Mormons? Because that's what we think about, right? Elders, right? Elders so-and-so. It's crazy. We have allowed denominations to steal Bible words, and then we just say, well, we can't use that one anymore. The Mormons got it. (laughs) We do that with a lot of things. We did that with the Holy Ghost 40 or 50 years ago. Scared half to death to raise our hands and praise God and get emotional in church because the Pentecostals did. 50 years later, the Pentecostals have the biggest churches in the world. <laughs> and then they, they, they know how to praise God. You say, well, I don't like a couple of their doctrines. Well, they don't like a couple of ours either, okay? Truth of the matter is we're never going to agree on anything. What we can agree on is worship. And so, you know, it's just crazy how we've allowed certain terms in the Bible to become for whatever reason. Elders is a Bible word 70 times in Scripture. You say, well, I like the word pastor. Well, it's mentioned once. And I like it too. And you can call me pastor if you want. And, I'm, and, and, and I, don't, I don't think elder is a, is, a, is a term of approaching someone. You don't say, hello, elder, so-and-so. We, I just think elder describes leadership. And so we're going to talk about that next week. It's going to be really cool. You're going to love it. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be really, really good. And, and, and I'm going to present it to you the best I can according to the scriptures. Then church membership is implied by accountability, which means you, if you're a church member, are accountable to make sure that this church is preaching the gospel. And if it's not, then your responsibility is to get rid of whoever's not preaching the gospel. (laughs) I mean, that's just your job. That, that's what your job is. Uh, your job is to make sure the mission of the church is being, uh, is being sent forth. And you say, man, I didn't know this stuff. You mean I'm res- Yes. Yes. You are going to be empowered as a church member more than you ever have before. Not, not empowered in a, in a sense of, 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 of in a wrong way, but, but empowered in a sense that, wow, I, man, God put me here to be a part of making sure that God's work gets done. It's awesome. It's a great thing. And so we talked about these things. And then we talked about the value of a church covenant. Is it even in the Bible? Well, no, it's, it's not in Scripture. And, and we could stop right there and say, well, forget it. But you know, not everything that's not in the Bible is just false. For instance, the Trinity is not in the Bible. But how many of you believe the Trinity? Father, Son, Holy Ghost, three in one. You believe? I do too. But the Trinity, the word Trinity, it's not in the word of God. And yet, we believe it, we teach it, we know it's true. Church membership is not in the Bible, and yet it's implied. It's implied in so many ways. The word covenant uh, in the New Testament is not mentioned in a, in a term of a must for a church. But yet, when we think of a covenant, it may not be, it's not wrong in the Scriptures, it's not prohibited in Scriptures. And so then we ask ourselves the question, if it's not wrong, is it going to be helpful? Is it going to 
to help our church? Well, I think yes. You have to decide yourself. And so I want to look at the scriptures now. We move into the definition of covenant. It's defined in Webster's Dictionary, a written agreement or promise, usually under seal between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. Quick definition, Webster's, okay, you know, business definition. Uh, It's a good one. I like the word promise. Uh, I think that's a good word. That's what it is. It's promising one another that we're going to be uh, committed to each other. But let's look at a church covenant defined. A clear expression of a church's commitment to love one another as a community of faith. It's a clear expression. It's basically saying, look, I want the world to see that Gospelite Baptist Church is a place that loves one another. Now, we're not the best at that yet. We're getting there. And we have a lot of love here. But I'm finding out how much more we need to love one another. And we can't fix it overnight. But we can learn it, and we can apply it, and we can get better at it. But you can't get better at it with a broken model. Amen? Got to fix the model. Got to put it back together. It doesn't mean that we, we, you know, I think it does mean that we've, we've done some things wrong, but we've been sincerely wrong. I, you know what? I'm okay with somebody that's sincerely wrong. Amen? I mean, I, I think it's important that, you know, if you don't know something, you may be, man, I messed up. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Do you know now? Well, yeah, I know now. Go and sin no more. Amen. You know, and I'm not talking about sin literally, but I'm talking about now, now build the church the right way. Hey, we did pretty good the wrong way. And I don't mean the wrong way in every way. You know what I mean. I told somebody this afternoon, I said, you know, the hardest part of preaching this stuff, you know, the hardest part of preaching this stuff is that the guy that started the church has to stand up and say, you know, I apologize. I, 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 I sincerely thought this was the way to do it. I just, I honestly didn't know these things. I didn't take time. Uh, to, to, to study all these, all these things out. And now that I have, I'm really excited because they're going to work. Because at the end of the day, God's ideas are the best ideas. They work. So I'm excited about it. I think, I think it's going to be a life changer. If our church can grow to what it's grown with somewhat of a broken model, can you imagine if we get things right, what we can do? So Anyway, I'm, I'm saying hopefully enough to, to, to help you understand my heart. Now let, let's talk about, let's transition in, into the message and uh, talk about the value of, 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 of a covenant community. Do you see that in your notes there? We're going we're gonna to discuss, is this beneficial to the church? And we're going to do it using Nehemiah chapter 9, okay? And we're going to breeze through these things, but I do believe that we can get it done in 20 minutes 25 max, and, and, and I, I think it'll be like it was five minutes, okay? So hang on, listen fast. I'm going to preach fast, but not fast enough, uh, too fast, okay? You'll, you'll get it. So uh, let's look at four parallels in Nehemiah chapter 9. Listen, let's talk about where we're at real quick, okay? Nehemiah 9. Preacher, where are we at in Scripture? Aha! We are at a critical point in Scripture because uh, this is the drama that unfolds, really, that describes the entire Old Testament. The people of God, if you want to back up a little bit in, in history, okay? The people of God in Jerusalem built a temple, right? Built walls around a temple. And then, uh, because of their disobedience, judgment came. The temple was destroyed. The walls were 
broken down, right? And so you have, you have this preaching, you have the, the, the prophets preaching this. Before this story, that's all they preached. Follow the scriptures and you'll find the preachers preaching, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming to the house of God. Judgment came. And then you have preachers preaching after that, God is going to restore his people. He's going to bring us back to, the, to Jerusalem. And that's going to happen. And so here we are in scripture, and we're in Ezra, if you will. We're in Nehemiah, but Ezra, the book before Nehemiah, you know what that whole book's about? The rebuilding of the temple. So cool. God did bring the people back to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah, chapter 1 through 7, is about the rebuilding of the walls, right? Nehemiah, the great leader, God gives him a burden to go to, to, to back to his uh, homeland and to rebuild the walls around the temple. And he accomplishes that. So you've got Ezra, rebuilding of the temple, right? Nehemiah 1 through 7, rebuilding of the walls. Nehemiah 8 through 13, rebuilding of the people. Now the people of God have have seen God do all these incredible things. They're like, wow, our God is so awesome. Now how do we we live together in this community of of God's blessings? We we know we've messed up. We know we've made mistakes. But but God has restored us and, and, and God has brought us to this place. How do we live as people of God? All right, here we go. Number one, you ready? Number one, we are a community, first of all, grounded in the Word of God. Grounded in the Word of God. The first thing we need to establish at Gospel Life Baptist Church before anything else is we are a church of the Word of God. We're a church of the Word. We're not a church of issues. Amen. We're not an issue church. We're not a preference church. We're not a legalistic church. We're not a church with rules, extra biblical rules. We're not a church of that. We are a church grounded in the word. And listen to this. If we can get to this place, you're not going to believe it. It's going to shock you tonight. But look at Nehemiah chapter 8 and see if you agree with me that this is absolutely incredible. Can you imagine this scene in Scripture? And all the people, verse 1, gathered themselves together as one man unto the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded. So can you imagine the scene? All the people gather together. Ezra takes the book of the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Verse 2, and Ezra, the priest, brought the law, the Bible, before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And Ezra read therein before the street that was before the water gate. Look how long he read. From the morning until midday. Before the men and the woman. And those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive. Attentive. You know what that means? They were in awe. It's God's word. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit. A pulpit of wood. Which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood a bunch of names we can't pronounce. Verse nine, 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And when he opened it. Are you ready, people? And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen! Amen! And they lifted up their hands. 
and they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. All because the book was opened. The word of God was read. Can you imagine masses of people gathered together and all Ezra does is open the book. He just opens the book. And people begin to praise God and worship God. Now listen to me, church. I've been preaching for a long time. But it's not until the last eight years. And beginning in 2006 to this day, I have been reprogrammed in the word. I was an issue preacher. I was a storyteller. I used to entertain people. I could jump off this stage and do cartwheels. And I still to this day have people tell me, you know, and you haven't jumped off the stage lately. You know, people enjoy being entertained. They were good messages. They were true. Sometimes they had one verse, maybe two. And I had my share of sermons where I read one verse and never really talked about it. But you have to get a verse in. You know? And then in 2006, crazy, God let me meet, or 2005 actually, God let me meet a man named Adrian Rogers. I'm not discrediting all the preaching that I heard. They were good guys. But this was different. I want you to look at a three-minute clip. I just, if, if it doesn't do anything for you, it'll just bless me the rest of the sermon. This is the guy that, where it all started for me in the Word. I'm going to ask you today to give your heart to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you today to trust Jesus Christ and Him alone to save you. I'm going to ask you just to give your life to Him by faith. And if you do, He will forgive your sins. He will come into your heart and give you a new nature. And one day, He'll take you to heaven to be with Him. But I am telling you today, friend, that God brought you here to this place to be saved, and He will save you today, and He will save you and keep you saved forever. What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. Oh, raise your head for love is passing by. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You come if no one else does. People say, what's the world coming to? I'll tell you what the world's coming to. It's coming to Jesus. Jesus owns this world. It was made by him and for him, and the Bible says it's coming back to him. You read Colossians chapter 1. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. I think and what happened is... About two years after I met him, he passed away and died of cancer, and that was it. But he introduced me to preaching from the Word, expository preaching, not issues, not calling people names, not being crude in the pulpit, not because you're a pastor you can say things that nobody else can say. That's what I was exposed to, not preaching silly things like 
Men of God wear white shirts and ties. And if you don't, you're not right with God. And this crazy stuff that I, I was surrounded with that had nothing to do with the Bible. Uh, speaking of a, of, of a woman who, who wears this garment, is more spiritual than a woman who wears this garment. And, and, and I fell for all this stuff, yet found no basis in Scripture. I found no place in the Bible. It just was issues and preferences and, 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 and ideas and, and, and from men. And then when I got in the Word, I said, God... It's not what you're saying. And I began to study the word of God. And I found out you can't preach a sermon without preaching the word. And it takes scripture to change lives. Not stories. Stories are funny. Stories make people laugh. Stories, illustrations are windows that let the light in. Yes. But preaching is not just storytelling. Preaching, yes, can contain, contain storytelling. But it's, 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 it's the impact of the scripture that changes lives. And what's happened to me the last eight years, and I, I don't know. I know I'm enjoying it. I would venture to say if you've been attending this church for the past five or six years, you would say, yeah, Brother Eric, your preaching is different. It, 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 is, it is more Bible-based. You don't seem to chase a lot of rabbits and get off track. It, it's what God's done in my heart. And it's not super popular, and I don't have as many meetings, and, and I'm, I'm not as funny as I used to be. But I tell you one thing, I think we're building, we're starting to build a church of people who have a heart for God and really want to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so we are a community grounded in the Word of God, and, and I want to challenge you to stay true to that. Then, and then secondly, we are a community com- sustained by the Word of God, or by the grace of God, I'm sorry, by the grace of God. We're sustained, keyword, sustained by the grace of God. Now, what we're going to read in just a moment is some verses from Nehemiah chapter 9. Now, we just read out of Nehemiah 8, right? Remember that? Word was opened. Ezra read it. People stood, raised their hands, fell on their faces. It was incredible. All right, let's go to 9. This is the response of Of what just happened. All right. This is what God's people did now. This is so cool. Now, on the 20 and fourth day of the month, the children of Israel, verse 1, chapter 9, were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins. I mean, this is incredible. Now, the people of God are so, hey, they're so in love with Jesus, they're not ashamed, they're not embarrassed, they're confessing their sin. Hey, sound familiar? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Where has confession of sin gone in the church? We're embarrassed. You know what we're afraid of? Man, people will think I'm not a good Christian. What kind of love is that? What kind of church is it that doesn't love you even though you've made a mistake? I mean, if there's any place you should go and be loved if you make a mistake, it's church. You say, well, preacher, why would you love me if I make a mistake? Well, are you sorry? Yeah, preacher, I'm brokenhearted over it. I've I've repented to Jesus. Well, listen, that's enough. I know there's times when we can't put somebody back in the pulpit or in the ministry or we can't put them back and it takes time to restore that brother and we'll look at that in future weeks. But we ought to be able to confess our sin. 
got to be able to go to a brother and say, man, I need you to pray for me. I'm struggling. Amen. That's what they did here. They're confessing their sin. And look at it in verse number three. And they stood up in their, in, in their place and, and read the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one fourth part of the day. So they read for a fourth part of the day, which is what, six hours, right? And another fourth part, so another six hours, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Doesn't even say they broke for lunch. Six hours of reading the Bible, six hours of confession and worship. Sin is being exposed. People are getting right with God. This is a celebration. And then look at verse 5. Then the Levites, well, look at the mid part of verse 5. Said, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. So they're praising God for his goodness, for his grace, in spite of their sin. In spite of their sin. How many of you are glad that God doesn't kick you to the curb when you make a mistake? Amen. Amen. I wouldn't be here tonight. And that's what they realized. And here's what the people of Israel were like. Here's what the people of God were like. God, you're so gracious. You're so awesome. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Uh, you know, worship his holy name. So I'm going to sing like never before. Oh my soul. God, I can't contain myself. I'm a worthless sinner deserving of hell. I let you down daily and you still love me. How does that work? And here's what God says. Look at this, verse 25 and 26. I want to give you one example, and then I'll, and I'll move on. One example. Now, I can give you a bunch of examples. In fact, if you read the rest of the chapter, it's full of this. Here it is, verse 25. Talking about the grace of God, right? Look at it. And they took strong cities and a fat land, and they possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards, olive yards, fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in the great in thy great goodness. See it? They're just like, God's so good, man. We're, 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 we're just, we got food. We got housing. We got clothes. We got it all, man. God is awesome. Look at the next verse. Next verse. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee. And they cast thy law behind their backs. Just threw the Bible aside. And they slew the prophets which testified against them to turn them to thee. They cussed the preachers out that tried to preach the truth. And they wrought great provocation Ben, then look at the next verse. Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies. But look at verse 28. But after they had rest, they did evil again. In other words, here's what the scripture's teaching us. Here's what their prayer was. God, you are so good, and then we blew it. But you were still good, and we blew it, and you were still good. Do you see it? That's what this church's testimony is. We're 22 years old. Do you think it's been all mountaintop? No. We've had great highs and deep lows. We've had great victory and grievous sin. Oh, we've had great victory. We've had some awful sin. I mean, bad stuff. I mean, bad stuff. I mean, I mean stuff like you go to the office and think, oh, Lord, man, let's close the doors. Can we keep going? God says, I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to get you through this. We're going to help you through this. 
Isn't God awesome? You know why you're sitting here tonight? Grace of God. And if you think you're sitting here for any other reason, you're full of pride. You're full of pride. It is God's grace that sustains us as a church. It's only God's grace. It's not because of some great preacher or some great message or some great giver. It's not somebody, well, I'll tell you what, I know why we're here because I tithe. Where do you think you get the money to tithe? It's the grace of God that you even got a job tonight. It's the grace of God you're not living in a third world country. Can I get an amen? You better believe it. Don't you take credit for anything. And by the way, Erica Pacey, this isn't your church. It's God's church. I say that to illustrate for every preacher. I put me on the, on the chopping block because it's true. This isn't my church. It's God's church. And God will get the glory and God will give the increase. And so we're sustained by the grace of God. We're going to move forward by the grace of God. Not a cheap grace. It's funny. Sometimes what happens when your church gets really in tune with grace, you can go overboard, and all of a sudden you start just being okay with sin. You know, it happens. You say, well, let's just show more grace, and you show so much grace that everybody just kind of thinks they can do what they want to do. That's cheap grace. Real grace is radically obedient to Christ and undergirded by the grace of God. And so we've got to understand, grace is not just getting away with sin. Grace is not saying, well, you know, I've got this issue. Well, don't worry, pastor. I got that problem too. It's okay. No, that's not grace. You see? So not a cheap grace. We're talking about a, a New Testament grace. And then number three, we are a community, thirdly, promoting the good of one another. I'm almost done. Promoting the good of one another. Look at verse 28 of Nehemiah chapter 20, uh, 10. Nehemiah chapter t- uh, 10, verse 28, real quick. We're promoting the good of one another. That's what a church in covenant is. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, and all that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, sons, daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren. They clave to one another. They're nobles. And they entered into a curse, into an oath. In other words, a covenant. To walk in God's law. We're going to walk together in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God. We're going to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our, uh, the Lord, our Lord, and his judgments and his statutes. We are going to do this. They got specific. We, the people of God, are going to do what? Well, I don't have time to do it. I won't, I won't, I won't take the time, but I'm just going to highlight them. Verse 30 we will be pure, okay? And we would not give our daughters into the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Speaking of purity, we will, be, we will obey the Sabbath day, verse 31. We will worship God in the house, verse 32. We will contribute to the offerings, verse 34, verse 35, verse 36. We will serve, verse 38. And they made this commitment. They wrote a covenant. They made an oath. John, you're going to make a promise pretty soon to your fiance. You're going to make a promise, and you're going to say, I, I promise to do these things. You're going, to, you're going to make a commitment, a covenant, an oath. Did you like how I did that, John? That was sweet, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to mean it, aren't you? I'm with you, buddy. We ought to say things to one another and mean it. Mean it. I got your back, Keith. I'm your friend. I mean, you need me. I'm there. Amen. 
I mean, we, we are brothers. I'm making this commitment to you. I'll be here at church every Sunday because I know that, that you need me to be here, and I need you to be here because we're, we're together in this thing. See how this works? This is what the covenant community does. It promotes the good of one another. And we ought to be very clear about what that is. Very clear. I think the average church member doesn't really know what it means to be a church member. If you ask the average church member, okay, why are you a member of a church? I can vote. What else? I can volunteer to make cookies. That's good. We really don't have a solid biblical answer because church membership, honestly, we're not being held to anything. I mean, there's people out of church right now, and they haven't come to church in four or five weeks. That ought to bother us, not make us mad. We ought to be concerned. Where are they? They're members of this family. You say, well, pastor, doesn't that begin with you? Yes, it does. That's coming next week in the elder meeting, in the elder message. You'll understand how this can work better when one man doesn't have to worry about a thousand people because it's really hard. (laughs) Sometimes I can't keep up with everybody. Sometimes I can. It's not easy. And usually I blow it. So how do we commit to one another? Let me give you five things. I'm just going to read these. Number one, I'm committed to pray for the people around me. I'm committed to pray for the people around me. Hey, real quick, not to make you go on a guilt trip, but do you pray for the people in this room? Do you pray for them? I'm not talking about every day, but do you, do you pray on a regular basis for your church family? Do you ever call the church prayer line? once a week, once a month, once a year, do you ever pick up the phone and dial the church number and press 33 to find out who can I pray for today in my church? That's a commitment. If prayer is the most powerful tool given to man, then why don't we use it on one another? So we're committed to pray for one another. I'm committed to bearing your burdens and sharing your joys. Amen? Bearing your burdens and sharing your joys. Bearing your burdens. Why? Because we all got them. Amen? We got burdens, big ones. I mean, problems, issues. But then guess what? Sometimes we get over those problems. We, we get victory. And then we rejoice with one another. Weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. Number three, I'm committed to encouraging you with the example of my life. And we'll talk about that next week. Because everybody in the church ought to have a desire to want to be an example to somebody. Because somebody's watching you. Somebody's looking at your life. And, and I realize that for a church leader, that, that standard is even higher. And it is. It's biblical. And I understand that. And we'll talk about that more. But, but that's what I'm committed to. Thirdly, fourthly, I'm committed to worshiping with you and serving alongside you. I want to worship with you every week. I want to come together and get in the house and worship Jesus, man. Have a time. Just love. I love worshiping God. I like that 20 minutes every Sunday where we just worship God. 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Amen. Tonight, what was it? 6.05 to about 6.25. I love it. I look forward to it. I'm coming in the house, hey, fixing my eyes on Jesus, and I'm going to worship God with you. And serve God with you and alongside you. Can't I, I love it. 
And then five, I'm committed to accomplishing our mission together. And what is the mission? What is the mission? Well, it's, it's, it's written out in, in your, in, on your bulletin, but it's also on the internet. You can find it anywhere. The mission of the church. The purpose is to glorify God. The mission is to make disciples of all nations, to make better disciples, to make more disciples, right? But then what's the method? How do we do this? What is the mission? And how do I come alongside you and you come alongside me? Well, here it is. Connect with God through worship. If you are a member of this church, you should be here every Sunday. Amen. I mean, can you imagine somebody saying, uh, you know, yeah, I go to that church. I'm a member of that church, but I don't attend. It'd be like you saying, Sean, I'm married to Natalie, but I never go home. <laughs> That's stupid. Right? It just, it just doesn't make any sense. You should be here. And you know what's funny is? We've even rearranged our philosophy that, that a church gathering is not just, and most importantly, getting in a big building and listening to a guy talk three times a week. I'm not saying that's wrong. We did it for a long time. But we've, we've refocused our philosophy and said, gatherings are not just big, they're small. And so secondly, we are to connect with each other through discipleship, small group. Now, what's great about small group is that's where you live life together. That's where I really get to know Charles Cotton. I really get to know Duke or Keith or, 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 or Sean, I get to know Calvin. I mean, and I'm not in small groups with you guys, but, but if I was, you know, it'd be awesome. You get to know somebody. What, are you, what, are you, what can I pray with you about? What are your burdens? It's so beautiful. Guy on the way out shook my hand, said, Preacher, great, great, great service today. I said, Thanks, man. He said, Hey, listen, our, my wife and I are, we've got a big project this week. And I just uh, wanted to let you know about it. They said, oh, man, listen, what, what do you got going on? Let me see what I can do to help. And he goes, I love this. He goes, oh, we don't need any help, preacher. Our small group is taking care of it. I thought, hallelujah. That's it. Sarah Day, she's a cool lady. She comes up to me. She says, hey, preacher, this past week we went to parent arkansas and she said we 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 worked tornado relief she goes we we took a whole day and we i said who's we she goes our small group and we just helped clear out debris and help rebuild a house and all that i'm like that is so cool you know when you serve god together in a small community do you know how easy it is to slip in this building and slip out and that's it that's pretty much the extent of your church involvement is just sitting and listening to me but when you get in a small community and, 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 and serve and love one another, and it's just connect with the church through service. That's church-related ministries. My wife came up, uh, t- sent me a text this morning. Honey, the nursery is struggling. And I said, what's up? She said, it's the summertime. People are gone, out of town. It's terrible. And there are people that haven't gone to church in months. I said, man, that's terrible. She goes, yeah, it's just tough because... We need volunteers. And I said, we got to get that before the church. And we don't have the kind of systems in place that always give us that information. That's why we're trying to fix the problem. Because guess what? The answer is not hiring more staff. Number one, we don't have the money. And when we did have the money, that's what we did. And that's why we don't have money. (laughs) It all went to paying people 
to do stuff when we had a thousand people in the church that were just sitting. And then it says, connect with the world through outreach. That's soul winning. That's knocking on doors or, or, or that's sharing the gospel. I mean, whatever you want to call it. And so we are a community promoting the good of one another. And finally, and I'm done, we are a community demonstrating the glory of God. The glory of God. Acts, or rather, Nehemiah 12, 43, last thought, and the musicians could come on up here if you'd like. And it says in Acts 10, uh, in Acts, Nehemiah 10, 43. Did I say 12, 43, I'm sorry. Look at it. This is so cool. So, so hey, real quick, I'm done. But look, look, let me finish strong. They rebuilt the temple, Ezra. They rebuilt the walls, Nehemiah, right? Now, these walls, they were cool. These walls were like really big, and, and, and they were so thick that you could, you could drive, I was told, several chariots side by side on, a, on the top of the wall. I mean, hey, most walls I've seen, it's like this, right? Huh? But this wall, you could drive chariots side by side. You know what they said these walls were? Dance floors, man. Great dance floors. You ever heard that song? God's great dance floor. Hey, you know what people were doing on top of these walls? No joke. I'm not joking. Study that for yourself. They were celebrating. They were dancing. They were praising God on top of the wall. Why? Because he is awesome. And, and, and that's why we are community demonstrating the glory of God. And look what they did in verse 43 of, Acts, of, of Nehemiah 12. Also that day they offered great sacrifice and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also, the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. You could hear at Hillsong, Sonia, 25,000 people. We got there late one night. Not good. We parked in the parking garage, Sharon. Seventh, seventh, level. We're walking through the parking garage. We got about five minutes to walk and we can hear the music. I'm like, brother Bax, you can hear what's going on in Olympic Park about a mile away. Those people are so excited about the glory of God. Isn't that what the Bible says? In other words, when they thanked God for his glory and his goodness, people could hear it And they knew the goodness of God. They said, what are those people so excited about? You know what I want to do when I see people excited? Here's what I want to do. Let's go see what's happening. Come on. Let's let's go check it out. It must be something pretty good. Amen. That's the church. We ought to be so excited about the church. that people want to come and find out what's going on. What's going on down there? Why not great? So I challenge you as we continue to preach through this series, just, man, give me your ear. I know it's not the most exciting series I've ever preached. I know it's, man, if I'm a guest, I'm wondering, should I come back next week? Yes, please. Please come back. You may say, well, I've got all kinds of marriage issues. And when are you going to preach on marriage? Look, this is going to help our marriages because if we get this right, we're going to know how to love one another the way we should. Amen. So much to learn here in Scripture. And so I I beg you to keep coming. Please keep coming. In just a moment, we're going to stand, and we're just going to give you an opportunity to come. Come and pray.
Come and talk to God. Take a moment and just ask God what he would have you to, what he would have you to do about this message. And then please download the church covenant. It's on the internet. When you download it, it looks like this. I said that wrong. It's not the church covenant yet. It's just pieces of paper. This may never fly. It may never pass, go, and collect 200. I hope it does. There's absolutely nothing on this that I don't think anybody would agree with. But I hope that you'll read it because this is what we're working on. And this is the last message I'll preach on it. Father, we love you. God, bless the invitation. Speak to hearts. Please, please speak to hearts. Speak to my heart. Change our lives. Make us different. Thank you for Calvary. And if there's anybody here tonight that needs to be saved, help them to come right now. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand together, shall we? If you need to come, the altar's open. The Savior alone carried the cross for all of my days. He paid the cost. Salvation complete. Now forever I'm free. Calvary covers it all.